Who are the blessed because of their poverty, their hunger, their crying? Who are the blessed for the hate, insults, and exclusion they receive on account of the Son of Man? Do we bypass suffering for the Son of Man in this life so that the world might speak well of us? Does that put us on the wrong side of this ledger in the woe category? Jesus speaks of blessings. Jeremiah speaks of another sort of man or woman, the one who trusts in God. This one is like a mighty tree planted by a stream. The drought, that is suffering, does not really concern him. His roots are fed by the sweet waters of another source. Blessed is that man or woman. Welcome to the Sand Hills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. I am Pastor John Edding. The theme of this sermon on the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany is He Brings Blessing. This is a sermon from Luke chapter 6, 17 through 26, and it is the sixth sermon in a series called Unwrapping the Gift. Thanks be to God. Let's get to the sermon. Well, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which do you want to hear first? Well, this kind of question uh, you might hear, for example, from a doctor following an examination. And what would you prefer to hear first? The bad news or the good news? Um, I took an unscientific poll during a Bible study this past week, and I asked that question. And everybody, it was 100%, preferred to hear the bad news first and then the good news. <laughs> Jeremiah, in our Old Testament reading for today, he starts with the bad news first and then the good news. Interestingly, <laughs> Jesus starts with the good news first, and then he ends with the bad news. So what are we going to do with this? Well, we're going to unwrap the gift of Jesus and see what he brings to us on this sixth Sunday of of Epiphany or after Epiphany and the continuing sermon series called Unwrapping the Gift. Today, we learn Jesus brings blessing He brings blessing. Now, rather than telling us how Jesus brings blessing, Luke shows us how Jesus brings blessing. He, the large crowds of Jews and Gentiles came, verse 18, to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. So great was the power, Jesus' power that Luke recounts in verse 19, power went forth from him and cured them all. I mean, everywhere he went, he was curing and healing people. And as they gathered before him, Jesus looks on the crowd of harassed and even the uh, helpless people who are like sheep who have gone astray um, without a shepherd. And the diseased and the demonized mass of humanity has nothing in themselves and has come to the one that means everything to them. Massive crowds were following Jesus with a reason. 
He is healing, he's performing miracles and casting out demons, and apparently if they just touch him, uh, his power flows out of him. Now, (laughs) that sort of behavior is apt to draw a crowd. But Luke is doing more than just explaining their presence. He's also connecting the words which follow uh, this ministry of Christ. The words that follow are healing words for a terribly broken, even demonic world. Jesus' mere touch is enough. His words are even better. Well, I mean, because they can be written down. They can be remembered, respoken, and, re, um, and represented or represented. His, his words allow us to be in the presence of this Jesus, just as the crowds long ago were in his presence. So two words stand out, blessing and woe. To be blessed is to have God's grace and favor rest upon that person. Now, some translations have this translated, uh, the the word as happy. But there's something um, problematic with that translation because happy implies, you know, human emotion. Um, You can be blessed with God's grace and his favor while not necessarily feeling happy. The opposite is true also. You can be feeling happy about how things are going, but as we shall see, we may be under our, a, a woe or a curse. A good translation of woe is, you are in trouble. Um, how about that for a paraphrase of a three-letter word? You are in trouble. Uh, and it's not the word that a parent might, might use, you know, um, whoa, your room is still dirty and uh, bad news, you have to stay here until it's cleaned up. Um, but, you know, you get the idea about woe. So Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples and to us when he pronounces the blessings and the woe and the woes. He, verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and specifically those 12 apostles that he called apostles. He's speaking to the disciples, and the crowds, or the crowd is listening in. And and maybe not with with understanding, though. I mean, the Sermon on the Plain only makes sense if you are already one of Jesus' disciples. The crowd's reaction then would have been, by and large, what? Why? This doesn't make sense. Uh, it is the same today for the words. These words are for the believer and the reaction of today's world uh, listening in. If it is listening in, is what? Why? Uh, this doesn't make sense. So Jesus calls his disciples and us blessed. And each time that word is spoken, the contrast of the believer and the unbelieving world becomes more pronounced. Blessings and woes. So Jesus speaks of the contrast of life in the blessings and the woes. It kind of reminds me, though I'm not good at accounting. (laughs) I know some of you are. But it kind of reminds me of a two-column ledger, right, in accounting. Uh, uh, A a 
column for debits and a column for credit. And the blessings and the woes are parallel. So I'm going to pair up the blessings with its corresponding woe, just for, for, for convenience here. The first one is blessing, the first couplet is blessing are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Well, remember, Jesus said that he came. Uh, this was in his first sermon uh, earlier in Luke. He said he came in order to preach good news to the poor. Now, we should have in mind here both spiritual poverty and perhaps spiritual poverty first, as well as physical poverty. The poor are impoverished of soul with empty hands, empty hearts. Their only treasure is Jesus, yet they possess the kingdom. Now, notice the present tense. Through faith in the Savior. And, but nevertheless, in the current situation, which is evil, when evil is still strong, those who are spiritually poor will at times find themselves physically and economically oppressed. Um, it's not liberation theology, but this fits with Luke's theme of the dangers of wealth. The main point here is that the poor are blessed, not because they are poor, but because the reign of God is theirs. It belongs to them. And it is given right now for with all of its blessing in Christ, precisely to the people who cannot provide for themselves. The woe, or you are in trouble, <laughs> um, that goes with this is verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Well, this is a warning to the rich the, that wealth will not save them. And that is a huge theme. Um, this is a huge theme in Luke that wealth can lead to spiritual danger. Our possessions can sometimes end up possessing us um, and corrupting our hearts and our minds. And when we may be consoled um, into a false sense of security by wealth, but as Don Henley uh, once sang, hearses have no luggage racks. Second couplet. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. The man or the woman who recognize spiritual hunger or their need and in penitential grief will weep over that condition and will indeed be satisfied. So Jesus fills us with his righteousness in his word and sacrament now. And he blesses us with a foretaste of the feast to come, a heavenly banquet where we will rejoice, we will be satisfied. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Well, here we're thinking about the belly full of self-righteousness, the pride, um, self-made religion, or other sinful appetites that may be brimming now. But on the last day, that belly full of those appetites, forsaken, empty. Next couplet. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Well, the source of joy is Jesus, who will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21, verse 4. Jesus took our sins, he took our suffering of the world into his own body. He shed his blood so that he might console us with his forgiveness and peace. Now, 
But woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. So you and I are in trouble if we are oblivious to the sin around us and the sin within us. Laughter turns to weeping and despair for those unprepared for the Lord's judgment. Uh, Maybe an illustration here. If you've watched the movie, The Titanic, um, it showed people partying wildly, secure in the thought that, hey, nothing could sink them. Sink themselves, or sink them, or sink this massive ship. Even as the bow was going under the water, uh, the band still played, and people slowly boarded the half-full lifeboats. Only when the water crested the bow and no more lifeboats were available did people run for higher ground, pushing and pulling and screaming. The unsinkable was going down. Verse 22 is a, really the couplet here is a summary of all the blessings and the woes. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Here, Jesus is talking about persecution instead of acceptance. Uh, He's talking about hate instead of acclamation. He's talking about exclusion and insult rather than praise. It's the reaction of a sinful world to Christ and to his disciples. The cross of Christ. This is how Jesus saved us, by being excluded, by being insulted and, and reviled. The cross of Christ casts its shadow on all who follow him. A good example of this would be of the early church father, Polycarp. He was a bishop of Smyrna, studied at the feet of Apostle John. On Easter, A.D. 155, Polycarp was arrested. He was threatened with death. He was ordered to curse Christ, and he answered, Six and eighty years have I served him, and he has done me nothing but good. How can I curse, how can I curse him, my Lord and my Savior? Polycarp was burned to death because... He refused to renounce his faith. Being faithful unto death, he received the imperishable crown of glory. Verse 26, But woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Beware of bypassing suffering for the Son of Man in this life, so that the world might speak well of us. The greatest false prophet is Satan and who tempted Jesus to bypass suffering on our behalf. So what are we to make of the Sermon on the Mount, or excuse me, Sermon on the Plain? And what now? Well, Jesus asks us to imagine another kingdom than the one that we live in now, the ways of this world which operates by the principles of its dark and twisted master are not kind to people, especially the little people. Remember, Jesus has come to preach good news to the poor. He did not come to this world to condemn the world. But as we saw in the story, in the introduction, he comes as a healer, the one that loves you. And he comes with power to save you. He comes to provide for those who are powerless and unable to provide for themselves. Jesus, again, is, he's reversing the worldly order of Satan's dominion. You remember the ledger, the column of credit, debit, the column of blessing and woe? 
Where do we belong in that ledger? Well, all of us belong in the woe category in our sinful self. Jesus' blessings and woes perfectly describe us in both columns. I am, by the grace of God, 100% on the blessed side of this. I am the very poor, hungry, persecuted soul that God has lifted, cleaned up, and restored to life. At the same time, I am also on the other side of that column. I am 100% one of the fat, rich scoffers who are destined to get their just desserts. Uh, This Sermon on the Plain is complex. And if you take it to heart, it can make us feel uncomfortable. (laughs) The Sermon on the Plain, though, gives us, Jesus is giving us an invitation to own all of that and along the way to own God's graciousness to us. In the Son who speaks these words, he gives us the perfect righteousness of Christ. He takes all our foul filth and he places it on himself. He is describing absolute truth. But in him, though we are a holy on the wicked side of this equation, now we're on the other side, the blessed side in him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, verse 1. The woes, how do we take this? The woes are not final judgments. They're the instrument by which God calls you and I to trust in him. And in him alone, Jesus tells us as much. Real blessing, food for for real hunger, comfort for the deepest of grief, and inheritance, which wipes out the deepest poverty only comes from Jesus. So we find our wealth, our comfort, our sustenance anywhere else. It doesn't end well. But we can still give thanks. We can still give thanks. You know, we can still give thanks for our bank account. We can still give thanks for our full refrigerator. But maybe we can also leave the building with just a little bit of emotional distance. (laughs) from those things. And don't think that the world will understand this. Your own sinful heart, my own sinful heart doesn't understand this. It makes no sense and you will revile yourself and the world will join in, but rejoice in the moment. You are blessed for the kingdom of God belongs to you right now in Christ. And when the world calls you loser, smile. It said that about Jesus and all his servants. You are in good company. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.